Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Camp of the Hills 20 for 20 podcast, where we're going to get to talk to some of Camp's most influential directors, leaders, and facilitators from over the past 20 years. For more information about this amazing 48-hour fundraising event, please go to 20-for20.com. That's 20for20.com. Seriously, guys, thank you so much for your love and support. Enjoy the podcast. Now, before we get started, here's a quick message from Drew and Michael. Have you ever served at Camp of the Hills? If you have, you probably remember the heat, the hard work, walking up the hill, and that sparkling, crystal clear water of Lake Travis. We are excited to say, in 2018, we have committed to paying our counselors so they can come to camp and focus on serving and loving the kids. To kick off these efforts, we're hosting a 48-hour fundraising event that we're calling 20 for 20. Why 20 for 20, you ask? Good question. Well, as we said, it's been 20 years since camp has been in a position to pay our counselors, and we're asking everyone who has ever served at Camp of the Hills to give $20 to this great campaign. And there you have it, a $20 gift and dedication of 20 years of kingdom service for our counselors. It's that simple. Over the past 20 years, we estimate there have been more than 5,000 individuals who have served at camp in some capacity. Counselors, summer staff, kitchen staff, volunteers, work groups. Our goal is to spread this campaign throughout the interwebs and reconnect with every single person who has ever served at Camp of the Hills in hopes that they will give us just $20. Of course you can give more. If we're successful and all 5,000 people give just $20 though, then we'll raise $100,000 and have enough to pay our summer staff in 2018 and beyond. So, Drew Bowen. That's me. That's you. Yeah. Tell us, why don't you go um, give us a, a brief, give us a brief life bio. Where you were born, where you grew up, and then let that lead into how you first got connected with Camp of the Hills. If you can remember the very first time you ever went to camp. And who, pray tell, introduced you to camp? Oh. Um, I would like to know this. You know, that's a great question that you asked, Chris Bikes. Uh, well, my name is Drew Bowen, like you mentioned. I'm from Bryan, Texas. Uh, my mom and dad worked uh, at the newspaper there and then uh, at the university. So, born and raised in Aggieland. And I was going all growing up to the Central Church of Christ um, and was really involved in the youth group and pretty much from day one I was if the doors were open I was going to be there lock-ins retreats anything that we were doing I wanted to be there uh, that may have had something to do with my youth ministers uh, I had semi weird obsession with being like them uh, <laughs> I'm you know growing their my hair out to be look like them it, going to Thailand after them it, it was weird yes I'm sorry to hear that. It's super terrible. creepy. I, I, if if my youth ministers are out there listening, I'm really sorry. Yeah, that uh, sounds like they need to apologize to you. Uh, but sure enough, uh, one of them was connected to Camp of the Hills. Uh, he had been a counselor there, and his brother was currently serving as the camp director there. Uh, and Camp of the Hills needed volunteer groups to come out during the summer to serve the meals and to clean up after the meals and do all the setup and all that kind of stuff and you know it was a youth group trip so I was like okay I'm in so I showed up it was during training week for the summer of 2000 and we got there I believe it was a Monday afternoon it was a long drive and a hot bus ride it wasn't entirely thrilled about it and then our first job after meeting Mel was to go over to the shop and start cleaning out canoes for the summer and apparently some sort of animal had been using these canoes as a latrine for the entirety of the off season <laughs> so here we are spraying out canoes I'm 14 years old and the water hose is spraying and splashing liquids back at us in the middle of this intense heat and burned into my memory. I, I remember this feeling 
of I hate Camp of the Hills. I'm <laughs> never coming back here again. <laughs> and that didn't last all that long. Because a few days later, we were joining in. Since it was training week, the, re- the campers weren't there. So I wasn't able to see like the real ministry of what was happening. But I was watching these college kids get prepared for it. And they were going over what camp has uh, named fast songs. And they're the crazy energetic songs with tons of hand motions and, and lots of energy. Go buck wild. Yeah, sometimes you go buck wild. And I was like, whoa, these adults are like having a whole lot of fun and doing something that they clearly love. Man, when I get old, I want to be like them. And, you know, they were all like 18, 19, so probably not all that old, but it gave me this clear idea of like, I'd always seen adulthood as something I was going to have to be less of myself Hmm. to fit into. And there at Camp of the Hills, I got a little glimpse of, hey, maybe there's a future for me where I can fully live into what I feel like I'm good at and what I love to do. So that made the rest of the week and learning a little bit more about work ethic, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more fun, a little bit more bearable for me. And then that fed into, you know, the next couple of years I kept coming anytime I had a chance to be volunteer groups. Um, and I found out that there was going to be an opening for people who were 16, not old enough to be a counselor yet, but you could come and do grunt work all summer and work for Mama Fikes, who uh, camp legend and just incredibly great human being. And I'd heard a lot about her because she was also my youth minister's mother. You've heard of her, right? Yeah, I know her. Okay. I actually, actually just did an uh, interview with her earlier today. And so it's... Interesting. If, you have, if you're listening now and you haven't listened to the Mama Fikes interview in this ser- podcast series, you can go back and listen to that right now. Ooh, I like that plug. Yeah. yeah. And we're, we're, uh, we're going to have one for Mama Kaki as well, so you can listen to that one. Excellent. So decided, you know what, if I'm going to be spending my summer anywhere, I want to be at Camp of the Hills, and I'm going to get started as soon as I can, and I'll see how long I can do it. So that was that was 2000, you were 14, and then 16 yeah. was 2002, was okay. my first full so summer out of camp. What, what, were you, what were you called, a liaison or a junior counselor, or what was it? I, don't know. I was called a liaison at the time, okay. uh, that name is switched around at times, we called them staff assistants for a while, but settled on camp assistants okay. for the last few years. Okay. But basically, the <clears throat> gist of it was, hey, you're not quite old enough to be a full-time counselor, but you can still join in on some of the big group activities and help out. Uh, but you can also do all the grunt work of like cleaning out the pool and carrying the slot buckets and filling the water jugs. Filling the water jugs. So all that kind of stuff that needed to happen but didn't have a whole lot of hands for it. Yeah. It was a good way to get plugged in. Yeah. So when was the first year that you went as a counselor? So I was a liaison slash camp assistant in 2002 and 2003. But uh, 03, after high school week, which at that time was about a week and a half, uh, we had lost several guy counselors. So Chris Field approached me at the end of that week and said, hey, you got about four days off until our next week starts. Here's the counselor manual. Read over it because you're going to be a counselor for the last two weeks. Nice. And I was like, what? <laughs> I haven't gotten any of the training. I'm just going to read this booklet and know what to do. And he's like, no, don't worry. You're going to be in a cabin with Mark Clancy. I was there like, you go. huh, Everything's okay. taken care of. Everything's better. So I was, I was in a cabin with Mark Clancy and Brett Uniguez and... I, I had already developed like a mentor slash looking up to uh, Mark Clancy 
role a whole lot. So I figured even if I'm not so much a counselor for the next two weeks, like I can help look after kids and I can watch what Clancy does and I can try to be like him for the rest of the time I'm a counselor. And I think it's fair to say that I failed at being like Clancy (laughs) in just about every way possible. But uh, I did watch a lot of what he did and it gave me one of the most meaningful moments uh, that I've ever had at Camp of the Hills. Um, that second week as a counselor, I had two brothers in our cabin, Simeon and Cece. Uh, Simeon was eight, Cece was nine, and Cece has autism. Hmm. I'd never heard of autism at this point in my life, uh, much less know how to work with a camper who is dealing with lots of behavioral issues and communication issues. So they're thrown into our cabin, uh, and Simeon is really acting as the older brother, trying to take care of Cece and trying to make sure that nobody's picking on him. And he's just so concerned about making sure that his brother is having a good time Mm. that he isn't really giving himself a chance to have a good time. So we spend some time talking with him back and forth and trying to explain, hey, we're here to make sure that both of y'all get the most that you can out of camp. And we know that you love Cece dearly, but let us love him as well, and we'll help take care of him so that you can enjoy this time as well. And he understood some of it, and he he ended up having more fun as the week went on. Uh, Cece had a hard time because sometimes he'd get really frustrated and wouldn't have the ability to explain in words what was going on. So a lot of times he would just yell or just dart off into the woods, Mm. which, you know, if it's your second week as a counselor and you've got a kid who's just constantly fleeing into the dark woods, you know, that's not exactly (laughs) the most stress-free situation. But the saving grace for us was worship time. Uh, Cece loved worship time and he loved to sing Um, and I remember sitting in the old dining hall in the front row right next to him and he'd cross his legs and sit up and uh, he wouldn't sing most of the words uh, because he was still having some articulation problems with that but he'd He'd make noises with us to the beat, and he'd rock back and forth to the beat. And I mean, I was seventeen at the time. Mm-hmm. I I don't know what real worship looks like. I mean, I've had a very narrow perspective my whole life of what worship looks like, and I see him, and he's not doing what. I have grown up seeing his worship, but it is undeniable Mm -hmm. that he's making a joyful noise to the Lord. And I'm like, this is something. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's happening, but I want more of this. And he latches on to one of the songs. It was a four-part harmony of Owen the Saints. Mm -hmm. And it was simple enough that he was able to get quite a few of the words. And... One night, uh, after he's had a particularly hard day, he's run away quite a few times. When hit in the nurse's station, uh, we've been chasing him all over the place. Uh, he comes up, it's Wednesday night, it's after talent show, and he'd been hoping to be in the talent show, but he had fled, so he talent show was over. Worship was over, so he'd missed that. Chris had just finished up giving his devotional talk. And he says, Hey, Cece, you going to come up here and help me sing Owen Saints? And Cece, his face just lights up. And he gets up there, and it's all just a blur. I, I just remember everybody singing together and me sitting on the front row from uh, off to the side a little, getting to look forward and seeing him as a kid who I didn't understand how much he was picking up. I didn't know how much was sticking, 
but I knew in that moment that something had gone incredibly right mm. and that this was something that I wanted to be a part of. And then flash forward, uh, he didn't come back that next summer. Uh, neither him nor Simeon did. But uh, summer of 2005, he came back and he'd grown like a foot and he gets off the bus and sees me and yells out, Drew! And runs and gives me a hug. And I'm like, oh, I made a difference! I made a difference in the life of a child! And then that night we're having worship and before we get done, he waves down the person who was leading singing and says, can we do all in the saints? And gets up there and leads it and remembers every word. Wow. And I'm like, I had no idea how much, if anything, this camper was going to remember. Yeah. I didn't know if it was going to be something that was just in one ear out the other. I didn't know if he'd ever remember. I, I had no idea what, what he was capable of. Yeah. I didn't, realize what God was capable of mm -hmm. in him. I got to see it. And, you know, I love Camp of the Hills. In a lot of ways, there's a whole lot of planting seeds. There's not always a whole lot of getting to see what fruit comes out. Mm -hmm. And that's not only okay, that's a good thing that helps keep us humble and it helps remind us that it's not our work but it's God but getting to see those little glimpses every once in a while that's enough to keep you coming back for years to come yeah. and you know if it weren't for me getting to know Cece and Simeon you know who knows how long I would have stayed out of Camp of the Hills maybe it was it would have been multiple years but uh I don't know if it would have been this long. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Simeon ended up being a counselor, by the way. Really? Years later. Really? Mm -hmm. When I was director. And uh, he was the first person I ever baptized was Simeon wow. when he was a counselor. At camp? At Camp of the Hills, down in that dirty lake water. That's awesome. Uh, one of the proudest moments of my life. That's really cool. So, so full circle. Run, run through real quick. Um, <clears throat> What years were you a counselor? So last two weeks of 2003, and then I was a counselor in 04, 05, 06, uh, with Chris Field as the director, and then uh, 07 and 08 with Derek Rogers. Okay. And then after that, what? Uh, so... Uh, Derek and Courtney stepped down after the uh, 2008 summer and Mel called me up and asked if I'd be interested in applying for the camp director position, knowing that uh, I'd expressed some interest in that in years past. Uh, but I was a long-haired hippie back then. <laughs> had my Chris Fikes hair, so <laughs> that wasn't going anywhere. Uh, that so simple. Oh, man. Anyways, I digress. Go ahead. Keep it going. Uh, so, I had come back from Thailand uh, to come work at Camp of the Hills in 08. And then I was moving in with a friend in Abilene. I'm going to start working on a ministry degree because I figured out that I loved ministry. Uh, just wanted to not be terrible at it. So, I figured I had a whole lot of passion. I kept hearing that I had lots of passion and exuberance, but nobody, nobody ever said, man, you're really good at this. It was always like, man, you are so energetic. <laughs> I was like, I gotta work on this. <laughs> so, it's like, like the, the coded language, the passive aggressive, like, yeah. you need to go to school, man. <laughs> yeah. So, I went ahead and started working on that, and while I, when I moved there, I got a call from Mel and decided, okay, I'm going to go ahead and apply for it. 
Uh, I knew after 08 that I loved camp, but I couldn't see myself be a counselor anymore. But then this opportunity came up. And I was like, this sounds great. Let's try it. <clears throat> so how, how old were you in that in 2009? Uh, what year were you born? I was born in 86, so I think I was about 22. So took over in fall of 08, and it was a transition summer. There were a lot of folks who, I mean, we, we hadn't had a huge number of counselors the last year, and a lot of them uh, were a little bit older or uh, were at a point in their life where they weren't going to be able to come back. So I realized, you know, this is... This is going to be a real big recruiting rebuild, um, and 09 sure proved that to be true. <laughs> 09 nearly <laughs> killed me. Um, fun story, in retrospect, not in the moment. But my first week as camp director, uh, we had a huge thunderstorm the night of the crucifixion reenactment. Uh, we had some sort of medical emergency the night before and had somebody had an ambulance come out to camp, which I'd never seen wow. at camp. I've never seen that. Ambulance out there on Wednesday night. Thursday night, uh, we're walking down to start the crucifixion reenactment. I'm about to play a soldier for the first time. All kinds of stress. Uh, the person who was playing Jesus had never seen the crucifixion before. I, we did it during training week, so lots of nervousness, and then it gets rained out. And while a group of girl camp campers and counselors was going from their cabin to the bathhouse and then back, lightning strikes, and suddenly one of our new girl counselors is convulsing on the ground. What? All of a sudden, I'm up at the dining hall. And another of our new counselors, who's a former camper, bursts in and says, Miss Lacey's been struck by lightning. And I'm like, what? I run out and I see one of my guy counselors holding the limp body of this counselor. And he's just like running through the darkness and the rain with lightning flashing in the background. And I'm like, she's going to die. In my first week as director, like, oh God is sending a signal. I'm not supposed to be here. I have made a grave error. And the ambulance comes oh, yeah. the second night in a row. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but by the time they get there, they look at her for a while. She comes back to consciousness. She had epilepsy and the flashing of lightning right next to her. She caused her a seizure. Okay. Not good, but, but she was way struck. better than struck by lightning. Yeah. So that was week one. <laughs> I, you know, maybe I shouldn't admit this to the entire. Who knows how many people are going to listen to this podcast? But I, I spent quite a few, quite a bit of time. Quite a bit of time. Underneath my desk in my office, like crying <laughs> while listening to uh, the song by Sean Mullins that says, Everything's gonna be alright. Like, I, I had that on loop multiple times that summer, just praying, like, I gotta get through this summer. Things will be better in the future. Uh, it was a rough summer. Wow. But things got significantly better. Wow. Well, okay, so this this would be a good. So that was wait, that was two thousand nine. Yes. So that would take us right on into two thousand and ten. <laughs> well, you know, you think things are getting better. Your summer two thousand ten kicked off with, or actually, I guess before the summer, right? Right. So uh, in March, I always forget the day. I want to say March twenty third, but we may have to fact check that. And you may have to edit over it so so I don't sound dumb on this. But. Uh, I remember getting a call from uh, the executive director, Mel Bowman, and he called and said, Hey Drew, I just wanted to let you know I'm standing outside of Dunham Hall and it's uh, burning to the ground right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> what? So, so calm, 
matter of fact. Of that's course. Like, is that just to, that's Mel? I mean, that's it's just totally Mel. That's epic Mel Bowman right there. He's like, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Hey guys, just want to let y'all know we're the well is completely dry. We have no water. Yes, we're gonna be showering uh, by be jumping in the jumping in the lake and around the mud. Yeah. This. <laughs> so <laughs> just letting you know the dining hall just burned to the ground. So. We find out later that apparently it was some sort of electrical system with the phones that, you know, everything was donated back then, so who knew that they were getting some sort of electrical... The phones apparently caused it? That, that's the last thing I heard from Mel was they thought it was some sort of electrical system in the phones that sparked or something. Oh my goodness. I didn't know phones could do that. I didn't I think phones That's why were, yeah. I don't have a landline. Yeah, that's the only reason. <laughs> only reason. Otherwise, I'm not Love those. Bundle it. Bundle it. But he calls and says, hey, we're... Our main facility is burning down. Oh my, this End of March. End yes. of March. End of March. And I ask, okay, what does that mean? With panic in my voice. And he says, we're not sure, but we're going to be open this summer. We're going to figure out a way to make it happen. And I remember him saying uh, that I don't see what it is right now, but God's going to do something great out of this. And I'm like, sure, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Let's, let's get on that. I'm the one who's going to be like in charge of campers this summer, but yeah, great things are coming. God does not want me here. Why are you making me be here? But so awesome. we came out uh, that weekend, and I drove down from Abilene. Some other folks came out, and I, I remember I had a garden hose, and there were still parts of it that were on fire. And I was trying to put out some of the last of the flames. The embers. Yes. And there were little, there were some mementos that didn't quite get burned. Mm -hmm. um, there was a plaque from when the fireplace was erected. Mm -hmm. And there was a Spanish language Bible that I had a few uh, pages that didn't get all the way burned up. Yeah. And we had some friends of camp out and knocked down the rest of the fireplace and said, you know, God's gonna do something great. Y'all, y'all knocked it down the rest of the way yourselves. I think, I think it was that weekend. Wow. We might have had another event a few months later. I, I don't remember exactly. That, yeah. As you can imagine, that's a bit of a blur for me. <laughs> I actually, I actually remember learning. We were in Thailand, and I remember somehow finding out that the dining hall had burned down, and I, I, I remember calling you. And talking to you, you may not remember, but I remember calling you and that's just like, man, Drew, are, you know, are you okay? I'm so sorry, you know? And I was expecting you to be really distraught and really like upset. And I don't know how long after it was that I talked to you. I know the summer hadn't started yet, um, but I remember being surprised at what good spirits you, you were in and that you were, you really had a positive outlook. You were excited, still excited about the summer. And uh, I remember hanging up the phone, uh, feeling really encouraged by that. It, it ended up working out just fine because we got a, a huge tent. It seemed like, it, not the main tent for a circus, but one of the smaller side ones. Uh, just a huge tent. And it was really cool to get there, see that, you know, they put, they had some volunteers come and put it up. Uh, it, was, it was just massive. About three weeks before camp started, I was out there getting ready. There was a really big windstorm. <laughs> and I was walking back to my cabin with uh, Jason Cooper. Shout out to the Panther. Uh, Coop. Coop. He was out there helping get stuff ready as well. And all of a sudden, I just hear a crash as we're walking. And I'm like, Coop. I think the tent just fell over. And I was like, okay, we can just check in the morning. It's probably not. And then all of a sudden I was like, no, you just go on back. And I just start sprinting back. And I, I show up and sure enough, it's just 
torn to shreds, fell over, completely collapsed. Completely collapsed. And I call Mel, and I'm like, Mel, the tent fell over. And he shows up like two minutes later. Yeah. It, it's the middle of the night. And I see on his face like this deep sadness. Like, and he allows this sadness to take a hold of him for all of like 30 seconds. <laughs> He's like, all right, we'll get on the phone tomorrow morning. We'll figure out what's next. Let's go to bed. No use doing anything tonight. Hello. Whoa. Okay. Well, apparently it's going to be fine. We'll still have camp. Okay, I'm going to bed. And got a couple of portable buildings, stuck them together. It was cramped as all get out. And the poor volunteer groups who were cooking were in like, this super hot metal like, storage like container thing. Yeah. yeah. That's what, Un- they, that's what they cooked in? Yes. Oh my Unbearably hot. But the kids were loved well, despite all that. And uh, I went back on it, and even, even though it was really hard that summer, and really hard in 09, I look back and I'm really excited and thankful to be a part of that era, mm-hmm. to have that be like, if you go back and ask each director, hey, what was the big thing that happened during your time as director? I get to say, I was there for the transition from the old dining hall to the new dining hall. Mm-hmm. And there, there are tons of other cool things that happened during my time, but that that's really the, the thing that people who love Camp of the Hills can place as a marker of, oh, you were the director yeah. when that happened. For the fire. Yes. And I've got the plausible deniability of I was in Abilene when it happened. <laughs> I didn't do it. Because I've, I've accidentally set camp on fire a couple of times, but not that time. <laughs> so, all right, keep going forward. Uh, you were director 09, 2010, 2011 uh, was the first summer in the new dining hall. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> the first event that was ever held in the new dining hall was my wedding. Really? Yeah. Amanda and I got married down by the lake. Okay. Uh, which was then down by the creek. Yeah. <laughs> uh, four summers as director from 09 to 12. One summer where we could take the boat out. Just saying. Wow. But uh, we got married down by the lake and then had a reception up in the dining hall. In the dining hall. And it was super great. Super stressful though because we knew that Mel was going to get the dining hall done in time for the summer. But our wedding was going to be in early May. We're like, hey, you're going to get it done in time for that, right? Because we can go somewhere else if you want, if you don't think you can get it done. And he's like, no, no, no. It'll definitely be done by then. <laughs> so Mel said that once. And I was like, cool. Mel said that once. And Amanda was like, but are you really going to be done? And he's like, yes, everything's going just peachy keen. Everything's going great on schedule. So she hasn't seen the dining hall in a long time. And it's probably three or four days before the wedding. Uh, I think it's Wednesday. We're getting married on Saturday. And I drive in from Abilene, she drives in from Bryan College Station with some of her family and bridesmaids. And I get there about an hour before she does. It's at night. And I walk in. Dining hall's not done! <laughs> and I talk to Mal and he's like, I know it looks really bad in here, but we'll have it done by Saturday. And I'm like, okay. How are we going to convince Amanda? Because there's no, there's no like, ceiling? There, the bathrooms don't have sinks or toilets. There's what seems like a foot of sawdust on every part of the ground. There are no doors. There are no... There's nothing that would seem like this is a place where you could get married. Yeah. Or have some sort of food and dancing and revelry. Like, there... (laughs) And so I call my fiance and I say, Amanda, I'm just gonna need you to start preparing yourself now 
The dining hall isn't quite as done as we were hoping, but Mel promises it'll be done by Saturday. So just start getting yourself ready. Um, or maybe don't come by. Yeah. Well, I tried that. That that wasn't gonna happen at all. Um, so she, when she thought not quite ready, she was like, "Okay, well, we'll start setting up some of our decorations in there, uh, and they may have to do a little tinkering here and there." Uh, she steps out of the door. I confront her and say, "Prepare yourself." We walk in and just immediate weeping, <laughs> like just torrential. And she's like, no, 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 it can't be done. We'll go find somewhere else for the reception on three days notice. It's okay now. And he's like, no, it'll be done. And sure enough, it was done enough. And there, there weren't like doorknobs, yeah. but there are bathrooms, there are sinks, there are, it's beautiful. And then, more so than us getting to use it for our wedding though, uh, it was really cool to get to see kids who had always been used to coming to camp where everything was just sort of thrown together. I mean, we had some great facilities out there, but a lot of what we did was based on volunteer labor. It was sort of pieced together. Mm -hmm. And suddenly we've got this beautiful new facility and we feel like we're giving them the very best of what we've got. That was 2011 mm -hmm. and then so when was your last was that your last summer? 2012 was my last 2012. summer. Um, so I was nearing the end of a marathon of a college career uh, that included a lot of changes in major and direction and didn't involve any summer school at any time because Camp of the Hills. Yeah. Uh, but I knew that I was needing to get a full-time job after summer of 2012. And I remember feeling very uh, ill-equipped for the job in 09. So I really wanted to make sure that when I passed it on, that the person who came after me was able to get some time to train for me to pass on what I learned through messing a lot of things up and make sure whoever came after me was able to really take hold of it well. So, and so that was Paul. That was, that ended up being Paul Garrett. So I announced, I talked to the board in 2011 before the summer. Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, 12 is going to be my final summer. So you might want to start looking for a replacement now and I'll train that person uh, during the off season and then during 2012 as well and uh, we agreed that they would take over for one week as camp director in 12. So <clears throat> after that summer then what did you do? Where did you, you go? Uh, I was living in Abilene and Amanda was going to start to go to grad school there uh, for speech language pathology so I started out just trying to find some work and apparently all the spots get taken up pretty quick. So, I worked at Office Depot for a while, but then uh, a job opening came up with a local nonprofit called Connecting Caring Communities. Um, they brought kids out to Camp of the Hills as campers before. I knew them through that, and their basic premise was instead of going into a neighborhood and telling people, hey, here's what you should do to be a better neighborhood, the idea would be move into the neighborhood and listen to the people and figure out what do y'all love about your neighborhood? What do you want to do to make it even better? And to be able to do it together with them and say, hey, yeah, I want to do it with you. I'm also a neighbor. So it was a really cool way for me to get to know a lot of people who were either, some of them were former campers, but a lot of them were just living in situations similar to our campers from Camp of the Hills. So I was living in a neighborhood that uh, I was caring about deeply and I was getting to work in ways that just coincided with what I've been learning to care about more and more. So I did that for about three years uh, until I got the call from Mel again 
And Mel said, hey, uh, there, there's an opening at Camp of the Hills, and I think you should consider applying. I was like, um, you know, this sounds familiar. <laughs> and uh, so I ended up talking and praying about it with Amanda a lot, and we decided, you know, we loved Abilene, and... Wait, what? We loved Abilene. I don't know if I've ever heard <laughs> No, I'm just... Uh, you, don't well, often, you don't often hear people say, well, here's the we thing. We loved Abilene. I haven't heard that very many times, if ever. Here's the thing. Not, uh, not to not to badmouth any of you Abilene-loving people. That's fine. I have nothing against it. So not if you're into that. I had... So because Amanda had seven <clears throat> bridesmaids, I had seven groomsmen, and at one point, three of them lived within three blocks of me in Abilene. Uh, and had bought houses. And we had the dream of, hey, let's live in this neighborhood together. Let's raise our families here in community with each other. Like, let's have this be our long-term plan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's that had already uh, started looking like it wouldn't be a long-term thing anymore as is, but it was still really hard to say, okay, we're we're gonna leave. Yeah. We'll be we'll be one of the ones to be the first to pick up and move out, but it's yeah, that's it's hard for me to say no to Camp of the Hills. Yeah. So So I think we we have to, I have to interject. interject at that same time, uh, that you were getting a call from Mel saying, Hey, you know, <laughs> I got a call from Michael saying, Hey there's going to be an opening at Camp of the Hills. I want you to apply. So I, nice. I put my name. I mean, you know this, right? Do you know? No, this is brand new information. No, no, I don't want to. I was saying you have to know <laughs> this. Come on. Revelatory. So, that would have been funny if I didn't know. That would be hilarious. That would be awesome, actually. That would be um, super awkward. And uh, so Michael calls me. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be moving into Mel's position, and we're looking to hire this, this position, and I really would like for you to, you know, put your name in the hat and apply, and... So same thing, I talked with Tanya, really thought about it for you, but I was like, okay, fine, you know. And uh, so, you know, made a formal application and even went and uh, talked, spent some time with Michael and Kara, kind of an informal interview with them, and went to an actual interview with Michael and a couple of uh, board members. And then um, at one point, I don't, I don't remember exactly when it was, but Michael called me and Looking back, I, I think it's kind of funny because we know what happened, but Michael, I know he felt so bad. He's, he called, he's like, Chris, I'm so sorry. He wasn't laughing. He was not laughing. He's like, I'm so sorry, but we've, we've decided to hire Drew Bowen. And I just, anybody else, I think I would have been really frustrated. But for him to say that it was you, and the history that we have together, and knowing sure. like it was, it was more like I, it made me feel like a proud big brother, you know, and and excited, and and actually a little bit, a little bit relieved because I was imagining taking on this role that is it's a, it's a really it's a big it's a big deal, sure. But that when he told me that that they were hiring you, and that and I knew your history, I knew how much you loved camp and what you had been through with camp and that you were getting to go back. I just re really, I, I, I felt a, a wave of, of relief and excitement because I could see how God was leading them. And that's what we've been praying for throughout that process. We were, you know, Tanya and I were praying for Michael and for the board and whoever was making that decision that they really would make a wise decision and that God would lead them in that. And so then to hear that news, that was, to me, an obvious answer to prayer, that, that God really was leading that process. And so um, I think I made some wisecrack comment to him about husband that punch in the teeth or something when I saw you, but no, I, I, I'm really excited to see how God is continuing to work through you and through everybody that's involved in Camp of the Hills. And it's, it's just really awesome. <clears throat> so then this summer, this past summer, 2017 was your first summer back at Camp Hills as director. That's correct. Right. And how did the summer go? You know, 
It sure did, would. Did the dining hall burn down? No dining hall burned down. Did anybody get struck by lightning? None. Did the ambulance ever have to come out to camp? I don't think so. Hey, good summer. I I thought so. That's awesome. No, it, it was... There was still a lot of transition, but it was so good. Um, it was so much smoother than any summer I've been a part of uh, on so many levels. So uh, in the time that I was gone, they transitioned from having the head male and head female counselors actually in a cabin with kids. So not only were they dealing with uh, interpersonal conflicts between counselors and trying to mentor counselors and help them to be better, but they also had their own responsibilities to their campers as well. Uh, They transitioned to having them outside of the, the cabin and just night and day difference, mm-hmm. at least from my perspective. I I love yeah. talking with with so many different people, and this this little this podcast mini series. We started off with with Michael Timms. He was the first one, and so now yours is is the last one that's that we're putting out before the actual fundraiser campaign, which will be in just a few days, and so. The, the word that keeps coming to my mind through, throughout all of this conversation and talking and planning and, and remembering Camp the Hills and hearing stories, the word that keeps coming to mind is kingdom. Hmm. Kingdom. I just keep thinking of that over and over and over and hearing the stories and thinking about the way that, you know, Jesus, he, one of his most common phrases was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hmm. The kingdom of God is near. And how, you know, we... I think we can and should recognize and expect that we are the kingdom right now on this earth, that God's kingdom is here and it's present. It's not something that we'll go to in the next life, but it's something that we are actively living in now and that we should be, we should be, you know, spreading the kingdom in everything that we do and everywhere we go. And that's what I see in Camp the Hills. Like, like that, I, I just keep thinking about these campers. I mean, these these people who were counselors this past summer and were former campers. You know, um, so you said who was the guy? Simeon. Mm-hmm. He was a counselor this past summer. Not this past summer. He was a counselor in uh, 2011 and 2012. And he was a 2010 and 11. And and he was a camper when? Uh, when was his first? You know, his first. Oh three. And then 05 through. So I, I, I just think that's so, you think about because of the people that poured into him in 03, right. he was able to then turn back around and pour love out into other campers in 2010 or 11. Absolutely. You know, and that's, that's seven years different. That's a different camp director, that's different support staff, different volunteers, different mm-hmm. council, you know. Yeah. And um, but that's, that's what Camp Hills is doing, is discipling and kingdom mentality that I think is so powerful. I, I, want, I wanted to just ask you about and have you share a little bit um, the significance of, um, I don't know where, where the decision was technically or formally made as far as camp paying the counselors starting next summer. Mm-hmm. And, and not necessarily who made that decision or where it came from, but just the significance of that and the importance of that. Sure. And why is that important to you? Well, it's really important to me for a lot of reasons. Um, going back to what we were talking about just a minute ago, as we get more and more former campers as counselors, it just makes our old uh, model of fundraising less and less sustainable. So in the past, we would ask our counselors to write a bunch of letters to their home church or to family and friends, asking them to write them a bunch of checks so that they could have a salary over the summer. And, you know, when most of our counselors were coming from middle-class families and coming from fairly affluent churches, or at least churches where they had enough rapport that they could get some people to help them out. It worked all right for a lot of people. And, you know, I, 
I saw that not work out for quite a few people as well who, you know, I, I had a counselor, I think in 2010, who wrote over a hundred letters and didn't raise what she needed for the summer. Wow. And camp stepped in and I think a board member helped out and cut a check for the rest of what she needed. But, you know, that's a huge commitment of time and just resources, but also of heart in having to go out and ask for money for yourself. And more and more, we saw that, especially when we're bringing in more campers as counselors, now that that bulwark of people around you is still there, but they maybe don't have as much capacity to cut a check. And you know, you've got all these people who love you and who support you, but they can't help you get to the fundraising goal that you need to pay for rent when you're back home or to help get you part way through tuition or pay for books or whatever it is that you need. Yeah. So many counselors were coming to me during the middle of the summer saying, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. I fundraised, but I didn't get enough. Or I thought I could volunteer this summer and then an emergency came up. How do I start fundraising now? It's week seven. And it's, it's a little bit soul-crushing to hear those stories time and time again. And I know it, it took a toll on the counselors who were dealing with those situations, and it took a toll on the staff and the board to hear those year after year. Um, it's just a really difficult situation to see happen over and over again. And then on the recruiting front, I mean, one of my major responsibilities during the offseason is to go find the very best people I can to come and love our kids well. And one of the things that that requires is going out and telling people the story of who we are and what we do and what we've seen God doing here. And I feel really confident about being able to do that. And it was really encouraging to see so many people get excited about what Camp the Hills is all about. And then they say, my parents really need me to get a job this summer. How much does it pay? And I say, well, about that. <laughs> we don't actually pay you. You work for, you know, from Monday when the kids get here at 2 o'clock until Saturday morning. And you get about five hours off in there and we don't pay you anything. And when you say that, you get a lot of people who run away <laughs> because they've got so many other opportunities where they can do other great work and they can be fairly compensated. Uh, you also get some really crazy folks who love people well and say, you know what, I'm on board. And for the last 20 years or so, Camp Nails has run on those kind of crazy folks. Uh, and I've been one of them, and it's, it's incredible, but it's also incredibly hard. So, just going into this summer, we had a fairly full staff all lined out as potentially, you know, they signed on, they applied, they said, I want in. I called them, I told them, you got the job, and... Over the last month before camp got started, we had nearly 10 people call and say, hey, I got another job that pays. I can't come this summer. Or, hey, my parents really want me to stay home this summer. I'm gonna try to find a job here. I had a couple of folks who just never called, didn't show up. And, you know, I'm not, so optimistic that I think that just won't happen. We're not paying so much that we're gonna like blow every other place out of the water. We're not gonna have a bunch of people applying because yeah. they're like, oh, I'm gonna make some big money at camp this summer. Yeah. But I feel like we'll be able to knock a lot of that out and be able to say, if you are willing 
to commit to this place, camp is willing to commit to you as well. Thank you, Peter. That, that's, that's powerful. That's really powerful. Um, one of the things that that I've done with, um, I've tried to do with all the other people that um, I've interviewed for the podcast um, is to end with a prayer. And so, for sure, I want to end this. This is the this is the last one in this series. And so, just want to ask you to lead that prayer, just in praying for Camp of the Hills. Um, Yeah, so just just want to ask you to, to leave that prayer, pray, praying for camp, praying for this upcoming summer, for the fundraiser, for yourself and other uh, leadership camp, the counselors, um, and just know that myself and everybody who's listening, we're, we're praying with you guys. All right, well, let's pray together. Lord God, you are the God of Jacoby Williams, Mercedes Gilmore Castillo, Mark Clancy, Emily Oliver, Nicole Evans, of Simeon and Cece. You are the God of all those who have loved so well at Camp of the Hills for so long. And we thank you for the ways that you have blessed this place and these people. We pray that you will continue to show your favor so that we can continue to love kids well. In your name. Lord, we pray for all the, the plans, for the dreams. We pray for the hopes that we have for the future. We trust that you are going to continue to guide us. You're going to continue to direct us. That you're going to continue to bless the good work being done here. We pray for the campers, for the thousands of kids who have come and gone, who've seen camp in so many different iterations, who've seen it when we started out with just a rock house eating on the pavement to where we are now with so many blessings and facilities. But we trust that it's never about what we have, but it's about what you're doing. Help us remember that and never lose sight. That if we don't love with your love, then all we do is a clanging symbol. God, we thank you for the ways that you have changed the world through this place. For every parent, who gets a kid home who has been loved well. For every kid who leaves this place believing that you love them. For every counselor who looks at people a little different than them with a little bit more empathy, a little bit more love. For every volunteer who knows the value of hard work and the satisfaction of work done for the Lord. For every staff member who's put in time behind the scenes that nobody will see. Lord, you are doing good things at Camp of the Hills. Help us to see those. Help us to join in. We pray for the future of camp. And we pray that you will bathe us in your spirit and that we will see all the clearer 
the ways that you're calling us to love one another well. Help us to follow Jesus' example of loving those around us with wild abandon. Help us to be willing to sacrifice to show these kids that you love them so much. Thank you for the ways that you've shown us your love at camp. Help us to pass that blessing on. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Drew, thank you, man. Thank you very much. Anytime. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Camp of the Hills 20 for 20 podcast. For more information about this amazing 48-hour fundraising event, please go to 20-for20.com. That's 20for20.com. 